At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. What a great week to start off Thanksgiving. I don't know what tradition for you officially marks the beginning of the holidays. Maybe it's unpacking the Christmas decorations. Maybe for you, it's putting up that Christmas tree that really marks the beginning of the holiday season. How many have been overachievers and already got your lights up? How many have already uh, done that? I see two or three hands that are out there. Tree is up. The rest of you are slackers, just like me, just like me. Maybe it is Christmas music. Maybe it is hearing your favorite Christmas music that marks the beginning of the holidays. I'll tell you what it is for me and my family. For the past 16 years, for me and my family, what marks the beginning of the holiday season officially is the Thanksgiving box giveaway weekend. This weekend where we get a chance to pack boxes together and distribute them. My wife and I were doing that. Then our kids were kind of born into that experience, and uh, and now uh, every year my boys and I, we go out and deliver boxes, and yesterday we got a chance to deliver boxes to families yesterday morning, and before this week is all said and done, we're going to bless over 3,500 families in our region. How many praise God for that? Amen. And what our prayer has been, as I talked to those families yesterday, what my prayer was for them, what my prayer is, is that the box, which has so many wonderful things in it for a great meal, is about more than just food. That the box would be a reminder to them of the grace of God, the fact that Jesus sees them. And as they gather together around the table, that it will overflow in the heart of thanksgiving for the Lord, and that there will be joy at the table. You know, it was in 1970 that a wonderful book was written by a famous Christian author. His name was Francis Schaeffer. If you've never heard of him, I would encourage you, Google him and read what he's written. But Francis Schaeffer wrote a great book called The Mark of the Christian. And he wanted to maybe examine the question, what's the distinguishing mark of the Christian? What separates us from everybody else? And he concluded this, it's love. He says love is uh, what distinguishes the Christian from everybody else. Not only the unique love that we've received, because we've received this wonderful uh, agape, as the Greek in the Bible uh, tells us, this God love of sacrifice and, and mercy and grace, but it's the love that we give to others, give to the world because of what we've received. But you know what you can never separate? Love and joy. You know, the Bible never separates those two. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, when he's writing about the the fruit of the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what comes next, friends? Joy. Always love and joy go hand in hand. I would say that one of the ways that you evidence that you have been deeply loved and that you have received the love of the Father is by the joy of your life. You know, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear, but I also believe that perfect love casts out cynicism too. It casts out sarcasm and it casts out discouragement. The perfect love of Jesus produces glad and grateful hearts. 
And I pray that you will be known by your family, by your friends, not as a cynical person because you follow Jesus, not as an angry person because you follow Jesus, not as somebody who is mad at the world, but I pray that you will be known as a person full of joy and that you would be alive and excited about spreading that joy to the world. How many want to spread joy all over the world for Jesus? A joy for Jesus. Well, today I want to talk to you about that, spreading the joy of Jesus all over the world. And I want to look at a short story that Jesus told. Join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We're going to look at the shortest story Jesus ever told. It's one verse, but it's so powerful that it'll take me 25 minutes to preach on it. Now, Jesus is far more efficient and economical with his words than I am. In one verse, he can say what it would take a preacher, again, 25 minutes to say, but he says it so powerfully. And I I, I just want you to see this. As we start Thanksgiving week, I want you to have a heart full of joy. Now, what we're about to do, friends, is we're going to read one verse, and then we're going to have what's known as an inductive Bible study. Now, how many by the show of hands have heard of that phrase before? inductive Bible study. Anybody ever heard of it before? All right, a few of you have heard of it. Here's all an inductive Bible study is. No need to be intimidated by it. Uh, It's really one of the methods that pastors like me use to shape our messages so that we can make sure that what we're teaching you from the Bible is what the original intent was, what God, through the superintending of the Holy Spirit, inspired the authors to write for us to give to you. And here's all an inductive Bible study is. It is a careful reading of Scripture while asking important questions. Now, typically those questions are the same questions an investigative journalist would ask. Questions like who, what, when, where, why, how. So what I'm going to do is just read this verse, and then we're going to ask a few questions, four in particular. We're going to ask a few questions, and then we're going to get to what I think is the big idea of the story. Everybody ready? Here's the story. It goes like this in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven. Is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What a story. It's a story of a treasure hunter. Now, if you're my age or older, you grew up watching a a movie that marked my life, your life, and the culture that featured a young Harrison Ford. The movie was called Indiana Jones. How many remember Indiana Jones? You just told your age by raising your hand. You just told everybody your age. But if you're younger, maybe you've heard of the movie series, uh, uh, the uh, uh, National Treasure. Anybody ever heard of National Treasure? Still gets it the same thing. These are quests. These great quests to find treasures of great value. Well, before there was National Treasure, before there was Indiana Jones, there was Jesus telling this story. <coughs> and here's the story. It starts this way, that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure that's that's hidden. And I want to ask a few questions of it, but the, the big question, I think the key question of it all, before we get to these four investigative questions that I want to ask you for your own heart, to examine your own heart, is, is about valuation. 
What this story is all about is about valuation. What value do you place on the treasure that we're going to talk about? To put it a different way, have you found anything of such great value that you would be willing to sell everything in order to attain it? I want to ask this question again. Have you found anything of such great value that you'd be willing to sell everything you have in order to attain it? That's the question Jesus confronts us with here. Well, the first question that I get from this story is have you found the hidden treasure? Consider that for a moment. Have you found the hidden treasure? The story goes like this, that one day there was a man who uh, was in a field. He comes across a hidden treasure and he hides it. And then goes and buys the field that the treasure is in all because he wants that treasure. Now there's a lot of things he tells us about this treasure and then there's a few things that he doesn't tell us. Let's start with what we know. The first thing he does not leave as a, as a mystery is what the treasure is. Now, if I were to ask you, what is a treasure? You should be able to say, oh, it's easy. The treasure is not a box of gold. It's not silver. It's not platinum. It's not gold. But the treasure is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is a phrase that we don't use. It is a, a phrase that is unique to Scripture. I might even say it's a phrase that's unique to Matthew's gospel because when you read the other gospel writers, they typically use this phrase, the kingdom of God. But Matthew, and most scholars assume, it's because as a Jewish writer, he so reverenced the name of God that instead of using the unique name of God, Yahweh, he just wrote heaven. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same kingdom, he says, is a treasure. My question to you, friends, is do you see it that way? Do you see the kingdom of heaven as a treasure? Do you see the cross of Christ as a gift? Do you see Jesus as something or someone to be valued above and beyond everything else that you possess? Now, by kingdom, I want you to think not just of realm, but of rule, not just of place, but of presence. What he's describing here is the rulership of Jesus in your life. The lordship of Jesus. When Jesus becomes lord of your life, you, my friend, become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven over which Jesus rules. He wants you to know his presence. He wants you to know what it is to have his guidance and his leadership in life. You know, what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is that we don't serve some distant landlord. We don't serve some absentee father. I don't believe in theistic evolution that somehow God designed the world and then put it on auto drive and left it to its own devices. No, I believe in a God that is transcendent above his creation, but imminent, he is intimately involved in his creation. Jesus wants you to know him. God wants you to experience his presence. The psalmist puts it this way. In Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. You know, we live in a fallen world that is full of brokenness. Have you noticed that? It's full of pain and heartache. Maybe you're living with it today. Maybe the heartache of a child that's wandered from Jesus. Maybe the disappointment of a bad doctor's report. Maybe the economic turmoil of what we're experiencing right now and the fallout of it. We all are experiencing the brokenness of a fallen world in some form or fashion. But praise God that you and I who have put our trust in Jesus have a treasure that helps us to have hope in spite of the brokenness. That we're not going through this life alone, but we have a guide. We have a friend. We have a savior that sticks closer than any brother. How many out there believe that Jesus is a treasure? That his, his love, his lordship in your life is a gift. It is a gift and a treasure to be valued above everything else. I'm telling you the greatest possession you and I have in our lives is not our homes. It is not our portfolios. It is not our car. It is not our achievements, not the degrees on the wall, not your resume. The greatest possession we own is our relationship with Jesus. I want you to see it as a treasure. Now, here's the problem. While some of you may have some challenge with this treasure language, it's because the nature of the story is that this man one day stumbled upon something of great value that everyone else had devalued. He stumbled upon a treasure that everybody else missed because they didn't see it as special. That's not only the stuff of the kingdom, but in many ways, this is entrepreneurship at its finest. My background is in finance. That's what I went to college for. I've been enamored with that since the time I was in school. I, I love economics, and I can't help but to read this verse and to see how every word drips with an with a economic implication. You see, this is what entrepreneurship is. This is the reason why many people have prospered in this great country of ours. It's the ability to see value where others do not see value. Let me, let me give you an example of this. How many have ever heard the name before Edwin Drake? Anybody ever heard that name before? I don't think I see one hand in the whole room lifted. But you should Google Edwin Drake because whether or not you know him or not, Edwin Drake has had an impact on our lives, especially in this city, where there are many, many automobiles because Edwin Drake was a scientist who saw some value in this discarded chemical that comes when you distill crude oil. When, when you distill crude oil or refine it, there's this chemical called kerosene that was discarded. And in the 1890s, it was, it was Edwin Drake who says, we could actually convert this to gasoline and use it to fuel cars. From there, there was an explosion of the automobile industry. And millions of cars later, there are gas stations all over not only the country, but around the world, all because there was a man who saw value where others did not see value. Friends, this is the kingdom. You can't wait for others to see value 
where you see value. You can't wait for the masses to applaud Jesus. You can't wait for popular media to encourage the culture to give their lives to Christ before you trust in him. You have to have the keen eye of uh, someone who's able to see value where others don't. It takes no power to see brokenness in the world. Anybody can do that. Anybody can see that the world is messed up, but it takes the power of God to see hope in the face of Jesus. And how many have looked in the face of Jesus in the word and said, he is a great treasure, a treasure that is beyond value. How many believe that with all of your heart? Now, There's certain things we don't know about this man, though, do we? We don't know who he is. He steps into the pages of Scripture without name, birth date, city. We don't know who he is. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think it's because Jesus told the story, wanting that man to represent every one of us. Every one of us would insert ourselves into his shoes and be forced to ask the question, have we found the treasure? The second thing we don't know is how he stumbled upon the treasure. We don't know if somebody gave him a a map that said X marks the spot. How many would love that? (laughs) Right? Right next to Hoffa's body, there'd be a treasure right there. We don't know whether or not he was a field hand and one day at work and he's doing his job and stumbled upon the treasure. Or maybe, just maybe, he was listening to a preacher just like you are right now. And heard a message that told him about something, or better yet, someone who was to be more valued than anything else that he possessed. The first question is this, have you found the hidden treasure? The second question is this, what value have you placed on the treasure? What what valuation have you given to the treasure? How do you see the kingdom of heaven? How do you see Jesus in particular compared to the other things you possess? You see, here's my problem, and I think some of you can relate. My problem is there are times when I put too high of a valuation on things that should be devalued in comparison to Jesus. Let's think about a few things that we highly value in our culture. Let's think about money for just a moment. There are so much, there's so much value placed on the accumulation of money that some people place such a high valuation on it that they're willing to sacrifice sleep and health and well-being and time with family all so that they can acquire it. Some are willing to go this far. They put such a high valuation. They so overvaluated money that they're willing to even sacrifice integrity to get it. For others, it's not maybe dollars and cents. Maybe it is likes and follows. Maybe it's popularity that you value so high that you're willing to compromise who you are in order to get it. Friends, I just want you to know that there's nothing worth that. 
that there's nothing worth selling your soul for, that there's nothing that you should place such a high value on that you're willing to sacrifice eternal life in order to get it. When this man weighed the treasure on the scale next to everything else in the world that the world had to offer, he said the treasure was greater. And I want to let you know that if you compare everything this world has to offer to Jesus, Jesus is greater. All that the world has to offer overpromises and underdelivers. All that the world has to offer is fool's gold. Friends, I will tell you, and there are so many in here that can say amen to what I'm about to say. And that is, there's never enough partying. There's never enough drinking. There's never enough drugs. There's never enough sex to satisfy your soul. At the end of it all, you will find yourself empty and hungry on the inside because our souls are never satisfied by what this world has to offer. But if you want something that will satisfy your soul both now and into eternity, if you want something or someone that will answer the questions of your head, and the longings of your heart, the answer is Jesus. How many have found that Jesus is the one that satisfies your soul, that gives you eternal joy again, not to be redundant, but in his presence there is the fullness of joy. I don't have to wake up in the morning feeling compromised or empty or dirty. I can wake up in the morning knowing that I have joy, unshakable pleasures forever that the world didn't give in the world can't take away. What value? What value have you placed on the treasure? Well, the third question that he asks, and I think this is where the action is, friends, is what are you willing to sell in order to obtain the treasure? Did you see the story? The story goes like this, that there once was a man who came across a field, and in it he found a treasure that was of such great value that he hid it, and then he went and sold everything so that he could buy it. What have you sold in order to obtain the treasure? You see, for me, for those who love economics, this is where the excitement is. Because in our minds, we picture this is the height and the climax of the economic exchange. That on one side, there's a seller, and on the other side, there's a buyer, and they're haggling over the price. And the seller says, I'll sell the field for this amount. And the buyer says, no, I'll buy it for this amount. And they go back and forth until ultimately, there's an agreement on the value of it. We don't know much about the haggling part, but we do know that when the negotiations were over, it cost the man everything he had in order to get it. Now what that tells me is that in order to get the treasure, I'm gonna have to be willing to part with some things that are of lesser value. What would cause a man to sell everything he had in order to buy this field? It was because he was convinced that what he was buying was worth everything and more. 
The only reason we would give up everything is because we're convinced that in giving up everything, we're gaining everything and more. Hear what I'm saying. is that when you give up everything in order to get Christ, you're getting everything plus some. So what are you holding on to? Well, for some of us, we're holding on to control, the illusion of control. I cannot trust or follow Jesus because I got to maintain some illusion of control over my life. Well, let me just burst your bubble. You're not in control. And life will prove that to you a thousand times every day. All you have to do to, to figure out you're not in control is get married and have kids. You'll know it. You'll know it. You're not in control. I was such a good parent before I had kids. Or maybe it's comfort that you're holding on to. Some of us won't let go of comfort, won't separate from comfort, and it's preventing us from getting the treasure. Today, I'm encouraging you to sell everything, to sell control, sell comfort, sell possessions, Sell the sense of needing men's approval. Get rid of it all so that you can have the capital needed to make the purchase. You only sell everything because you need the capital needed to buy what is of more or greater value. Follow the story. Sell it all. Give it up. Whatever you give up in this life, you will gain in Christ and even more. The disciples came to Jesus and said, we've given up everything for you. We've given up brothers and we've given up lands and we've given up friendships, all of it so we can follow you. And Jesus responds to them and he says, no man has given up mother or brothers or lands for me that won't receive it back a hundredfold in this life and the life to come. All the pleasures of this world are temporal at best, but the pleasure and the joy of knowing Jesus is eternal, friends. It gives you rewards now, and it pays off great dividends in heaven. Now, why did he sell everything? Because of this three-letter word. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all he has and buys the field. J-O-Y. It is joy he was after. And if you want to know real joy, a joy that produces a peace that can keep you in the storm, a joy that allows you to praise God in the hardest of times, a joy that surpasses understanding, I recommend Jesus. Some of you know, it was almost four years ago now that my wife and I experienced the greatest devastation we've ever experienced, the passing of our oldest son. And I was looking through my photo album recently, and the pain is still there. Make no mistake about it. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wish I could get one more hug or spend one more meal or laugh one more time with my son. But yet when I was looking through the photos, what I saw in my photos were two pictures that happened to be side by side. One was the Sunday before he passed away. We were in church together. It just so happened, somebody had taken a picture of him with his hands in the air, praising God. And at his funeral, they sent me that picture. I didn't have it, they sent it to me and it was beautiful. 
But the next photo in my photo album was the Sunday after he passed away. And you know where we were at? We were in the house of the Lord. And we were praising the name of Jesus. And we were thanking him that from you are all things and to you are all things. God, you deserve the glory. And you ask me, where does that strength come from? Or where does that joy come from? Where does that peace come from? Friends, it certainly doesn't come from the stock market. Doesn't come from who's in office. I couldn't even tell you who was president or senator or representative or governor. It wasn't because of the politics of this world. It was because of the politics of heaven that I have a king who is unelectable, unimpeachable, who reigns forever and ever and ever. And because he's on the throne, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I got all joy in the world doesn't mean that we are delusional about the, the brokenness of this world, but we know someone greater. Have you sold everything so you can gain everything and then some? This man said, what do I have? Let's, let's bring it all together. Bring all the treasures I have in this life. Bring all that I've amassed. The money, the possessions, the control, the popularity, the social status. Sell it all. The comfort Sell it all so that I can buy the treasure. So here's where I leave you. I leave you with this last question. Have you purchased the treasure? Have you purchased the treasure? Now this is where some of you who are theologically trained should get a little bit nervous and say, Pastor Chris, I need you to tread lightly. I need to make sure you're not saying that you can buy salvation. And I just want to relieve any concern you might have. I'm certainly not saying you can buy salvation, at least not with the currency that you're thinking of. You can't uh, write a check to obligate God to uh, save you. There, there's no money. There's no gold. There's no silver in this world. All of it added up. It's not enough for you to purchase your salvation. Let me just make it real clear. God could care less about our stocks and our bonds. He could care less about our mutual funds or annuities. And he definitely could care less about cryptocurrency. Let me just tell you, especially right now. None of that matters to God. None of that can buy the treasure of salvation, the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. That's not the right currency. But the currency of heaven is faith and trust. That's the currency of heaven. And so this man sold everything so that he could have the capital needed to buy everything and then some. Do you? Do you have the capital needed to buy the treasure? Do you have faith and trust in him, in him alone? I hope you were paying attention because if you were during baptism, you would have heard me ask these precious men and women the same question again and again. Have you put your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for salvation? And each one said, yes. My question to you, friends, is this. Do you have the right currency to buy the treasure? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? Have you surrendered control and comfort all so that you can buy the greatest joy this world will ever know? And so here's the big idea. Here's what I concluded. The kingdom of heaven 
is of great value. That there is no greater treasure than the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that with all of my heart. So much so that that gets me out of bed in the morning because I know joy and I want you to know joy. Because I got peace and I want you to have peace. Because I got a savior and I want you to have a savior. Earlier today, as I ended my message in our previous service, I extended an invitation to buy the treasure. We had 20 people give their lives to Jesus in our past service. So today, I can't think of a better way to start Thanksgiving week than to ask you to stand all over this church. And I want to do something. In the privacy of your own heart, I want you just to bow your head right now. Bow your head. Close your eyes, please. Let nothing distract you. Not the person to your left or to your right. Not friend or family member. Just you and Jesus. I want you to search your heart. Jesus is standing there. Ready with open arms to receive you. And he says, I don't care about your past. My blood was greater. I don't care what you've done wrong. I can fix it. I don't care how broken your family is. I can make it right again. But it all starts with you buying the treasure, putting your faith and your trust in him. So if today you need Jesus, if today you want to give your heart to him for the first time, or maybe you need to come back home again, you know what it is to profess Christ, but you have wandered away and you're saying, Chris, I need to come back home again. Right there, in your own privacy. I want you to do me a favor, and I'm not going to put much pressure on you. I just simply want to know who I'm praying for. Can you just raise your hand? Just slip it up in the air. Just all over this auditorium. If today you know you need a Savior, I see your hand. I see your hand. Keep it high. Keep it high. Keep it high. I just want to pray for you. I see your hand all over the room. Even in the balcony, I want to give you this opportunity. Give your heart to Jesus. Just keep your hand high, and I promise you I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Thank you for your mercy and your grace, your goodness and your love. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who today bring nothing of this world's currency to the table, but only the currency of heaven, faith and trust. And they're asking, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Save me. I ask that you would answer that prayer, God you would save them by your power and fill them with your spirit and with your joy. Fill them now, I ask. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said a big amen and amen. Can we give God a big shout? Hallelujah. Can we give him a big hand clap of praise? Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.